So today, uh, I want to start out with a, with a story. There was a, um, a local fitness center, a gym, who had this, uh, this um, contest. And the, the owner of the gym was this kind of well-known, really, he was well-known for being the strongest guy in the room. And uh, they had this contest. They said, I'll, we'll give you $1,000 if you can, uh, if you can, you can win this contest. And the, the contest was that the owner of the gym had a lemon and he would squeeze that lemon as hard as he could and then he'd hand it to you. And if you could get one more drop out of that lemon, one more juice out of that lemon, one more drop of juice out of that lemon, then you got the thousand dollars. Well, a lot of people took him up on it, weightlifters and bodybuilders and uh, uh, folks that were known for their strength, and, and he would uh, squeeze that lemon dry, and then he'd hand it, and they couldn't do anything. And then finally, some, some guy comes in, just kind of average guy, didn't really look like he'd been working out much or anything, but um, he walked in and, and said he wanted to do the challenge, and everybody kind of laughed at him, but they gathered around, and, and sure enough, the guy grabbed the lemon and squeezed it, and then he handed him the wrinkly mess that was left at the end, and, uh, and the guy grabbed it and held it over the, 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 the glass and squeezed. Six more drops came out of that lemon. Well, everyone was amazed. They gave him the $1,000, and then the, the owner said, well, uh, tell me, you gotta, gotta tell me what your background is. Where, what is, uh, what is the deal? You're a weightlifter, bodybuilder, uh, uh, what's, what's the deal? How, do, how is it that you were able to do this? Say, oh, no, I'm not a, not a weightlifter or a bodybuilder. I work for the IRS, he said. It's pretty universal that we, uh, we don't like taxes. We don't like the IRS. Uh, someone once said, death and taxes. Sometimes I wish they came in that order. Uh, here's an actual letter received, uh, by the IRS years ago. Uh, it says, enclosed, you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax return last year, and I have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I'll send you the rest, it says. The people in Jesus' day didn't like taxes either, and they hated tax collectors. And we talked about that uh, uh, several weeks ago when when uh, we we uh, saw that Jesus went to uh, to the home of Levi, the tax collector, also known as Matthew, one of the twelve disciples. Uh, I, I told you about the way that that these guys are, were despised back then, not just because they were swindlers and they they cheated people, but they were working for Rome, and Rome was was not only uh, you know this this uh, uh, political power that was uh, was making life miserable for the Jewish people, but uh, Rome it was was not Christian, was not was not Jewish, was not uh, was not religiously pure. They were the pagan entity, and so this was not just I don't like you because you're cheating me. This was a spiritual thing. They looked down on these tax collectors because they were sinful, wicked people. And so, uh, as, as I've said, for the, for the past month, we've been looking at this, uh, uh, the, these dinners with Jesus, meals with Jesus, uh, many times, uh, probably more times than, than I'd really realized that Jesus would use a meal, a time where we'd gather around, where they would gather around and, and eat together, uh, in order to teach, in order to connect with people, in order to reach out to people who didn't believe yet. And today, Jesus is going to dinner with a tax collector. Uh, it's actually, it's actually kind of a, uh, kind of a familiar story that's, uh, been told and retold on the flannel boards of Sunday school classes for years and years and years. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're aware of it, maybe, maybe not, but it's the story of Zacchaeus. As soon as I say that, some of you start singing a song, right? For those of you who didn't grow up in Sunday school, just, um, you know, 
let us uh, give us a little break here for a second because uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he... And he said... (laughs) Or whatever Nick said. uh, For... For I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Good. Hey, you guys are good. That's good. Well, let's read it in the, I mean, that song gets most of it, but uh, let's read it in the Bible and uh, and see what the what the story is all about. Um, whether you've heard it a hundred times or this is your first time, I think there are some things that we can squeeze out of this story that are beneficial to our spiritual lives. Uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you come, uh, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's the story. In the first uh, couple of verses, we find out, we actually find out a whole lot about this guy named Zacchaeus. It's just 10 verses there, but, but, uh, uh, we actually find out a whole lot about this guy. I mean, he's, he's, uh, short. We figured that out. He's kind of in decent shape, right? He can climb a tree. Not all of us could do that. Shinny up a tree, uh, just as, just in front of the crowd there. Uh, he was, he was rich. Uh, he was sinful and selfish. He was a chief tax collector. He was disliked. He was a thief. And he was curious about Jesus. Jesus, Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus, but it appears that he really wasn't planning on meeting Jesus. He just wanted to see Jesus. Jesus had been in the public eye for over three years now. No doubt Jesus, or no doubt Zacchaeus had heard of him. It's not a huge stretch to think that maybe Zacchaeus had known Levi, now known as Matthew, one of the twelve disciples. Matthew was a, a tax collector. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. They, they, they perhaps would have even known each other. Jesus uh, also had just healed, right outside the walls of Jericho, where Jesus is coming through on his way to Jerusalem, where he will be, uh, will have the triumphal entry, and he's going to go in on the donkey, and everybody's excited, and then a week later, he will be crucified. Uh, so, so we're right, right at the pinnacle of this. Jesus, just coming into, Jer- into Jericho, uh, had healed blind Bartimaeus. Maybe you've read that story before, and Bartimaeus is excited, and, and, uh, and, and Jesus had healed him along the road. Uh, so Zacchaeus had, had probably heard the, the buzz around town about all of that. So he's, he's curious enough that he runs ahead of the crowd, and he, and he climbs up in a tree because he's short. He's curious, but he's not really looking for much more than information. Right, he, he he wanted to be close enough to know about Jesus. It says to see who Jesus was. He wanted to be close enough to know about Jesus, but not really to know Jesus. Right, it's kind of a celebrity thing. Uh, it, we do that these days, right? There are so many celebrities, and, and we learn about them, but we don't really know them. Uh, 
probably the biggest thing that, that from, from my life would be back in, in uh, high school and college, I was really into the band U2. U2? Yeah? Okay, a couple of you. All right. So, uh, I mean, we had, uh, me and, and my friends, we, I mean, we had all the albums. Those are those big black circles, right? And we had the cassette tapes. I was in the cassette club. Anybody ever? And, you, and they send you new and all that. Isn't that awesome? And I had the, and you open and you got all the, cassettes are these little plastic things with the, they're cool now, I hear. It's coming back. But anyway, so we had all the, all the albums. We had the bootleg albums that nobody had really heard of. We knew, uh, you know, the uh, U2 has a couple of weird named members. We knew their real names and, uh, we knew kind of what they, uh, what they, uh, uh believed in we knew about uh, new things coming up we knew what was uh, you know when they were going on tour and all those kind of things this past summer i checked uh, an item off my bucket list when rebecca and i went up to uh, cleveland brown stadium and saw u2 live in concert we're up there not quite on the back row but close you know cuz those are the those are the seats i'm willing to pay for and um and you can cut, we're on the, right on the side, and uh, you see the band coming out. And Bono, you know, lead singer Bono. And he came out, and he looked up. He waved at me. Might have been waving to perhaps that whole half of the crowd, but I think it was right at, because, no. See, that didn't happen, right? You're laughing because that didn't happen, because I, although I might know about a lot of things about the U2 and Bono and whatever else, uh, I don't. I don't know them. Bono doesn't know me. Uh, even though I used to know a lot about, about them, I never have known them. And we do that with our favorite celebrities too. We could go around and tell stories. You could tell me all the, we've got the, you know, the magazines and the, the news stories and the articles and all those kinds of things that, that uh, tell us about all these people that are famous, but we don't know them. It also reminds me kind of like, uh, maybe on, on, uh, on Facebook where we have friends on Facebook or social media, right? And we, we, uh, we see what they want us to see. I forget the, the, the number of pictures that someone actually goes through. I just heard it this week, uh, you know, many, many pictures before they actually post one that's the best picture, right? We, we see what they want us to see and, and we know what's happening in their life, kind of. We see these glimpses, whether they had a new baby or, or it's, uh, back to school time or, uh, somebody in their family went to the, the school dance or, you know, we see these things. But, but out of the hundreds of friends that show up in my Facebook profile, there's really only a handful that I truly know, right? That, I, I'm guessing that's, that's true of you too. So maybe if we bring this story of Zacchaeus uh, uh, to the, uh, the the present day, uh, Zacchaeus would have been maybe a lot like uh, some of us on social media, looking at everybody's pictures and stuff, but we stay anonymous, right? You you know what's going on, but you don't necessarily hit like or make a comment. Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, appears to be the extent of the, quote, relationship Zacchaeus is after with Jesus. Uh, I, I'm intrigued. I want to check this out. I want to know more, but I'm going to, going to stay back. He wanted to know about Jesus, but he didn't really want to know Jesus. And, and I guess we need to hit pause real quick because we need to ask the question, is that, does that describe our spiritual lives? Is that how we approach Jesus? Do we, do we know about Jesus or do we really know Jesus, is there really a relationship there? We can learn so many facts about Jesus and God and religion and all the, all the stuff, but we can miss the whole point. Going through the motions of religion 
doesn't really do anybody any good. It takes up time and, and you do something that's halfway constructive. But, but if it doesn't reach your heart, then there's, I mean, it's, it's not a magic formula of just attending so many services and reading your Bible a certain number of times and, and making sure all the blanks are filled in on the sermon. You got two of them right there. So make sure you get that. You're, you're more holy if you do that. No, it's helpful, right? But it, it's not like this magic formula. We can walk through all the motions and miss the whole point. The, the whole point of what we do as church is to help you, help you in your pursuit of Jesus, to get to know him more, not just to know things about him or to walk through religious motions, but to get to know who Jesus is, to know him and his relationship with him. This story describes the ultimate game of hide-and-seek, I think. But Zacchaeus is a little confused about who's it. Because Zacchaeus thought that he was it. He's the one jumping up in the tree. He's looking for Jesus. He's trying to find Jesus. He's seeking Jesus out. He's pursuing Jesus. Uh, he thinks he's it in this hide-and-seek game. But instead, Jesus is the one seeking Zacchaeus. He comes under that tree. Everything stops. He looks up in the tree and says, tag, you're it. Well, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. And I think we have that same view of, of God sometimes that he's trying to elude us or hide from us and, and we're doing our best to find him. We even talk about it. We find religion or we found Jesus and, and that's fine to, to use that terminology. Uh, but, but, but it puts this picture of God as always out of sight, always away from us, always eluding us. And we're do, desperately trying to, to figure out how to get him into our lives. But that's not the way the Bible describes it because the Bible talks about a God who is seeking you. A God who is it, so to speak. Uh, just like with Zacchaeus, he knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows where you've been. And he knows what he wants you to be. That's exactly what, what Jesus knew about Zacchaeus. He knew before he ever walked through the, 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 the gates of that city, Jericho, he knew who Zacchaeus was. And he knew that he was going to be up in that tree hanging out and trying to catch a glimpse of this famous guy. He knew Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a wicked, sinful guy, and he knew the potential of where Zacchaeus could be. So, uh, although he wasn't really expecting to get to know Jesus, Zacchaeus up in that tree, Jesus stops, calls him out, Zacchaeus jumps down, and it says he, quote, welcomed him gladly. The wording here is that Zacchaeus is literally overjoyed that Jesus has just invited himself to, over to his house. He's, he's, he's pumped. He's excited. Uh, the wording here, actually, in the, in the original language, uh, uh, the word gladly could be translated as jubilant exaltation. Eh, we don't talk like that these days, but Zacchaeus is excited about this, right? He's, he's, he's glad that Jesus has, has singled him out. Uh, it's similar to that, the, just previous to this, when blind Bartimaeus is healed of blindness and he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, overjoyed. It's similar to the disciples' joyful praise when, that's gonna happen, uh, in just a little while on the uh, on, on the, the the triumphal entry when Jesus goes into town in Jerusalem we we can see it it's a thread through the gospels joy because of Jesus is uh, is a is a theme that that we see over and over again in the bible and again i want to press pause for a second because i wonder if our lives could be filled more with joyful praise because of Jesus 
we let life get to us, don't we? We, we carry these burdens, and, and I'm not diminishing any burdens, but, but our hearts get heavy and our minds are stressed and our lives are hectic and our brows are furrowed, and if we're not careful, we go through life, ugh, right? And again, I'm, I'm not uh, putting down anyone going through or who has gone through difficult circumstances, and I'm certainly saying that they're that not saying that, that there's no place for, for grief or, uh, or, or depression or anxiety, Th- those things... Uh, those things are part of our lives too, but could joy be possible in the midst of those things? I think that's what Scripture describes. It appears that in the Bible, when people had an encounter with Jesus, when they had dinner with Jesus, when they talked with Jesus, they broke out into joyful praise. Connecting with Jesus brings joy. It doesn't mean we go skipping through life, right? You might get fired or kicked out of school or whatever if you're doing that, right? Well, that's the weird guy that skips, right? But if we have an encounter with Jesus, if we know that he has sought us out, if we know that he has forgiven our sin, that he can save us from our sin and transform our lives, then there's joy in that. No matter what the circumstances, we can have this deep-seated joy. And I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not, uh, happiness is, uh, somebody a lot smarter than me, uh, says that, 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 that happiness is, is usually based on what happens to you, right? And it's your circumstance. So I'm happy about this or I'm happy about that. Joy is so much deeper than that. Joy can happen even in the midst of frustrating circumstances. Joy can, can carry us through, uh, grief and, and loss. Joy can carry us through, uh, anything. In life, if that joy is rooted in Jesus. And that joy should be noticeable in the lives of Jesus' followers. There was, there was a young, once a young girl who became a, a Christian at a, at a revival service, uh, and, and the next Sunday at church, she, uh, she came forward and was baptized and joined the church, and it was a, a, an awesome thing, and, and she came home, and she's, she's running through the house, and she's singing and dancing and, and uh, kind of being a little wild and crazy, and, and her grandfather came in, and he was kind of known to be a little bit more strict, yeah? And, and he said... You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You just joined the church and now you're singing and carrying on on the Lord's Day. Obviously, that kind of crushed her. And so she went out to the, the farmyard and climbed up on the fence. And there's the, the old mule standing there and with his sad, droopy face and bleary eyes. And she reached over and kind of scrubbed the mule on the head and said, Don't cry, old mule. I guess you've got the same kind of religion that Grandpa has. I hope you don't have that same kind of religion. I I think uh, that may come uh, from knowing about Jesus, from being around the church, from thinking that it's all about living up to these rules and expectations, but not really ever connecting with or getting to know Jesus personally. John Ortberg writes in one of his books about a, a, a man in a church where he used to pastor, and his name was Denny, and Denny was not a happy man. He attended church his whole life, but he had never been happy. And even the expression on his face was perpetually negative, so much so that a deacon one time said, Denny, are you happy? And Denny said, yeah, sure. And uh, the deacon said, well, you better tell your face, he said. Denny's attitude was no laughing matter, Ortberg goes on to write. He said, Denny is not changing. He's a cranky guy. He's been cranky his whole life, not just about church. He does not effectively know how to love his wife. His children cannot tolerate him, and he has no joy. 
He's been going to church his whole life, 60 years, and nobody in the church is surprised that he stays cranky year after year. It is as if we expect a bad attitude. That's just Denny. Nobody is expecting him to be more like Jesus year after year. One of the evidences of the Spirit of God working in your life is joy. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not. Look up Galatians 5, 22 and 23 sometime. It's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's nine different characteristics there, qualities that the Holy Spirit, when, the, when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, when you say yes to God and we invite him to come into our lives, he begins to change our character. And one of the big things that he changes, one of the big things that he brings is joy. <laughs> Following Jesus brings joy, not grouchiness, not irritability, not apathy, joy. Zacchaeus, this sinful short guy up in a tree, demonstrated because of his encounter with Jesus that there's joy. That, that joy should spill out wherever we go, and especially in a place like this, right? Especially in worship, as we gather here, right here in this room, we have a bunch of people gathered together who uh, you have uh, supposedly, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, uh, maybe I'm assuming a lot, I don't think I am, I'm assuming you've been having encounters with Jesus throughout the week on your own. And you've opened your Bible and you've been, you've uh, prayed sometimes and you, you're maybe going through a, 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 a reading uh, schedule in your, in your Bible and, and so you're walking through these things and you're spending time with Jesus individually and those encounters have brought joy and they've helped you as you face the circumstances in your family or in your job or, or uh, whatever you're, you're dealing with. And, and so that joy has helped you. And then as we come together here collectively as the body of Christ, we've got all these people who have had encounters with Jesus and now we have one big big, huge encounter with Jesus together, and that should bring joy. Or, or not, I guess. Maybe I kind of hoping for a little more than that, but uh, woo, right? Can we do that? Woo, you got to kick your leg when you do that, but no, just kidding. Joy, joy because of Jesus. We, we, we have these personal inter- interactions, and, and, and Jesus is with us throughout the week, but something special happens in a place like this, right? And we get together as the family of God, the, the body of Christ, and we lift him up, and it brings joy. All right, back to the, back to the story. I, I mean, maybe, maybe that joy should, should show, right? Maybe, maybe you should... Some of you maybe tell your face. I don't know. Just, just, just saying. No, I'm just. All right, back to the story. Zacchaeus, we've, we've got Zacchaeus up in a tree. Jesus comes by, stops everything. Zacchaeus come down. He, he comes down. He's full of joy. Jesus is coming over and, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna have a party and we're gonna sit down. And although Zacchaeus is excited about all of this, the crowd is not. Remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Actually, it says that he is a chief tax collector. That means that the regular old tax collectors worked for him. This guy, Zacchaeus, not only cheated the regular folk, he also cheated the other tax collectors, right? So he's like double wicked, I guess, right? And, and he's just, he's just this bad guy and, 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 uh, and just did not have a good reputation as far as the church and holy people were concerned. Uh, the church folk didn't think it was right for Jesus to socialize with with that kind of people, with Zacchaeuses, uh, with with chief tax collectors. And if we're honest, we would probably, if we were in that same place at that same time, we probably would have sided with the church folk. 
It would be like your pastor hanging out with a high-level drug dealer or a pimp. Oh, um, he just went over to be a guest of a, hmm, probably wouldn't be working here much longer, right? In the eyes of the established religion, there was hardly a person worse than Zacchaeus. And they had a problem with this, and we probably would have too. But Jesus said that he was on a mission, and the opinions of a crowd were not going to dissuade him from that mission. Over and over and over again. We've already seen it through this series. We'll see it again. We see Jesus sitting down to dinner with people who don't deserve it. People who are... uh, People that that all decent people would ignore or shun and, and probably have reason to. What Jesus did here, and it's a great story to put on the flannel graph and tell the kids and Zacchaeus and he's a wee little man and, and all these things and, and uh, uh, we see that salvation comes to his house and he's repentant and, and gives back four times what he stole and, and all these, it's an amazing salvation story but, but, but we see that, uh, that, that, that Jesus, uh, what Jesus did with Zacchaeus was unconventional, slanderous. I mean, it was, it was, it was completely out of the, scandalous. But it was exactly why he came. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that's why God sent Jesus, not just for the Zacchaeuses of this world, but for us as well. Before you ever knew that God loved you, God loved you. Before you ever knew that God was looking for you, he was looking for you. He was pursuing a relationship with you. And even if you never come to faith in Jesus, he still desperately wants you to. He is seeking a relationship with you. A new pastor was was visiting in the homes of his parishioners and trying to get to know people. And so he's out on a Sunday, on Saturday afternoon and knocking on doors. And, and he came to one house and, and uh, it seemed obvious that someone was home. But he knocked on the door and nobody came to answer. And he kind of saw somebody go past the window and cars were parked in the driveway. But uh, he knocked several times and nobody came to the door. And so he pulled out his business card and he wrote on the back of the card just a, a scripture reference, uh, Revelation 3.20. He figured they would look that up. Uh, he knew that it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> and so he stuck that in the in the door. The next day they had church and uh, the, the pastor, you know, obviously as, as we do, you know, collect the offering and, and then the, uh, the ushers process the offering. If there's any cards or notes or things, then they get sent to the, the, the pastor's study and sure, sure enough, this pastor sat down on Sunday afternoon and, and saw his business card returned. And on the back, Revelation 3.20 was, had a line through it and instead it said Genesis 3.10. And so the pastor opened his Bible and he read, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. From cover to cover, the Bible describes a God who is actively seeking a relationship with us. In Genesis, he created a man and a woman for fellowship. And after they sinned, he didn't just give up on them and wipe them out and start over again. He sought them in the garden, even though they had disobeyed and they were naked and afraid and they hid from him and he pursued them. Throughout the Old Testament, God sought relationships with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and so many more. He spoke with Moses and, and he established a, a covenant with his people, Israel. 
He provided rules and structure to live by and and provided the best life possible for his people. God talked to and worked with judges and prophets and priests and kings. Finally, after seeking and seeking to connect again and again with humanity, God sent his son, Jesus, to live among us, to be like us, to lead us to God. Jesus lived and spoke and taught and healed so that we can know the best way to live. He, he, he died and, and he rose again in order to provide for our salvation, to save lives from sin and to save us for a relationship with God. Great men and women in the New Testament and beyond have continued to encounter God and, and to make him known to others. And, and even in the book of Revelation... As it tells what is to come, Jesus is still pictured knocking at the door of our hearts. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open the door, I'll come in and eat with them. We'll gather around the table. We'll fellowship. We'll have a relationship. Even even at that late hour, from cover to cover. It's the ultimate game of hide and seek. But we're not it. It's not that we're hoping that we find God somewhere. He's not hiding from us. And we shouldn't be hiding from him. We need to be like that sinner Zacchaeus and jump up with eager anticipation and expectation for what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Zacchaeus was a whole lot of things. He was a cheater and a fake. He was selfish and greedy. He was truly a sinner, one of the worst kind. The crowd was right. But Jesus said, you know, Zacchaeus is why I'm here. He is my purpose. I came to seek after him, to find him in that tree, and to offer him salvation, to seek and to save the lost. And today he says that to us as well. You and I are guilty of a whole lot of things too. But nothing will change the fact that you and I are why Jesus came He is pursuing us because he loves us. And he offers us salvation, the best life possible. (laughs) Zacchaeus was overjoyed at the chance to follow Jesus. His life was radically changed because he accepted that gift of salvation. Thousands of years later, we sit here with the same decision to make. What's our response in light of the fact that God is pursuing us. He came to seek and to save the lost. It could be that you've already jumped at that chance, that you already have that relationship with God. And that's awesome. I did that years ago. I'm still living in that relationship, hopefully growing more every uh, every day, every week. Uh, and I know that many of you are on that same journey as well. But I'm also convicted in this story because I don't think that I'm pursuing sinners enough. When was the last time that I did something scandalous <laughs> in, in with the purpose of seeking and saving the lost? Or am I just living my comfortable life and walking through the motions of religion? Yeah, I'm a paid Christian, right? So that's just what I do. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to pursue people with the love of Jesus? I believe with, with all of my heart that Jesus, through the local church, is the hope of the world. Our world is 
awful messed up. But there is hope because of Jesus, and we are his representation. Jesus, through the local church, is the hope of the world. It's God's plan A for reaching the world, and there is no plan B. I heard a quote on a podcast this week that challenged my socks off. Jared Wilson, uh, author, um, said one sentence that, that rocked, just listening in the car and, and listen to this stuff, leadership podcast, and, and he said this, if the local church wants to be the hope of the world, then it needs to step into situations in which people find themselves hopeless. If the local church wants to be the hope of the world, then it needs to step into situations in which people find themselves hopeless. Are we doing that? Am, am I doing that? I've got to ask myself, are you doing that? Or are we staying where it's safe and comfortable and, and everything's all put together and neat and tidy and, and we're hoping that someone might slip in and every once in a while I can pray with somebody or am I stepping into the hopelessness of people's lives and bringing the only person who is hope, the only one who can make the difference? I'm praying for God's leading this week in the, in the coming days to seek out situations where maybe I can be scandalous for Jesus. And if you are already in that place where you have that relationship with God, then I would challenge you to pray that same thing, that God would take you into places where there's hopelessness because you have the hope of the world. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And as his followers, we can do no less. So I think there, there's a couple of responses we have, right? And we have to have time to process this. Because Jesus, just like he was in, in the, on that uh, road going through Jericho that day, uh, I believe with all my heart that spiritually, the Holy Spirit, Jesus through his spirit is with us today just like he was with Zacchaeus then. And he is pursuing us and he loves us and he wants us to live the best life possible and he wants us to pursue people in our world with that same scandalous love that, and tenacity that he pursued others as well. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son. Forgive us for the ways that we maybe have kept him to ourselves. Forgive us for the times when we've been hiding from you or when we've pushed back on your influence in our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit would truly speak to our hearts and our minds, even in these few moments. And that we can not just know about you or walk through the motions of religion, but that we can know you more. Lord God, we don't want to go from here the same that we came in. And so I pray that you would do your work in us. I pray that we can acknowledge your spirit in our lives from this point on. That we can know that you are God and you are enough. That you have sent your son not only to save us, but to save the world. And so we offer ourselves to you today. We pray for your transforming spirit to continue to, to transform us wherever we find ourselves on our journey with you. And as we go from here, we pray that you would use us to bring that hope and that love and that joy to the lives that we encounter. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.